You are now listening to the Millennial Travel Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, podcast listeners? It's Matt coming to you with another episode of our new series, the Millennial Travel Podcast. Today, I am here with Daniel Knoll and Audrey Scott. They are from Uncornered Market amazing adventure travelers, some of my very favorite travel bloggers and people who really care deeply about sustainable tourism. It's so important in this day and age. They've got nearly 50,000 followers there on Instagram and they're putting out good content, not just good photos and good uh, tips on where to go, but they really... Uh, they really talk about life in a way that makes you think and makes impact on people. And that's, of course, what we try to do here on the Millennial Travel Podcast. Uh, That being said, I won't give away the entire episode, but it was really a pleasure to speak with them. And if you are looking to make plans for 2021, I would highly suggest you checking out our Black Friday sale at Under 30 Experiences. Not only that, next week we are launching two new Mexico trips. We know that people are going to be traveling closer to home. I've got a bunch of friends who've been traveling down to Mexico and uh, just really loving it and having good experiences there with COVID safety precautions. So we have a Mexico City trip and a trip out to the Yucatan that you are going to absolutely love. So check those two things out, under30experiences.com, and get ready for another episode of the Millennial Travel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Daniel, Noel, and Audrey Scott. They are travel bloggers from the uncornered market, Uh, but I will say not just travel bloggers. They are doing some really interesting things, speaking uh, for sustainability. They are based in Berlin from the United States. They do some really interesting advisory work, have been to over 90 countries, and as they say, you're still married, so congratulations. (laughs) <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, uh, thank you for having us. And thank you for the uh, congratulations. Well due, I guess, huh? For sure. For sure. Now, uh, have you been to all of these countries together? Let's start there. Most of them, but actually a few are from my childhood. So my background, uh, my father was a diplomat. So I left the United States when I was six weeks old. Okay. And went to India. So I started quite young. Um, so a few of the countries are actually from um, from my childhood. So places like Gabon in West Africa and Cameroon. But I would say most of the others, vast majority, are together. Actually, wow. Dan didn't leave the United States until after we met. So all of his countries are with me. <laughs> right. When, when, when we speak, the story that I usually tell is that Audrey had the much more interesting backstory. And so when people begin to talk to us, they hear that she's traveled to all these countries when she was growing up. And then they turn to me and they say, so where did you grow up? And I say, Scranton, Pennsylvania. And, you know, there's a sort of look of disappointment. And, uh, but it gets interesting, particularly when we speak to university audiences, which we do from time to time. Because the story that I tell is I didn't actually manage to leave North America until I was 26. And the reason that I share that story is to say, you know, you can get started with this travel thing at any age. And then once you do, it can take off in really (laughs) remarkable, amazing ways. 
be be careful be careful as uh as you might advise your your university students but daniel so i guess you can blame this whole thing on audrey is that right actually no when we oh. first he was already planning his first trip and it was to india which was you know a little bit off the deep end for a first sure. solo um, but I lent him my backpack and um, he went off and had quite an adventure. Um, but yeah, he actually was planning that trip even without me. So yeah, cool. it started on his own. I guess that's one of the reasons why we kind of worked out together. I mean, we certainly share the passion of travel, but I think we have it individually, maybe sometimes in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are times where we'll go to a destination, say, Turkmenistan, for example, you know, <laughs> in Central Asia, where we traveled, we traveled there 10 years ago. And at the time, Audrey was a little bit, a little bit concerned for various reasons, not least of which she had been working uh, in those countries in Central Asia. And my attitude was, let's go, you know, let's travel, <laughs> let's see it, let's, you know, dive, you know, headfirst. Uh, so it just depends on the circumstance. Sometimes I'm being pulled into a destination. Sometimes uh, I'm, you know, pulling her into a trip. It just depends. But we share a pretty even passion uh, <laughs> and curiosity and curiosity that's what, that's the driving force that's great uh yeah I'm, I'm happy to hear that well that's probably why you're still married so uh <laughs> yeah con congratulations again and uh you guys have done really remarkable work promoting some off the beaten path uh locations you've already talked about places that uh, on the podcast right now that i i don't know much about at all uh so I'd love for you to explain to the listeners a little bit, maybe for people who haven't uh, been to your blog, how you started getting off the beaten path. And uh, yeah, t tell us a little bit more on your, your it, it's a little bit more unique style of travel. Okay. We're, we're looking at one this is, this is the trouble that you have when you're talking to two people at the same time. I mean, I, I think uh, certainly Again, if we go back to our backstories, Audrey grew up in Africa in places like India and Sri Lanka. Uh, even beyond that, her family backstory is they lived, many of them, you know, grandparents, parents lived abroad. So they had that in their blood. I must have had some sort of curiosity <laughs> in my blood because the first place that I traveled to was India. So I think we've always sort of, we, we've always had a sort of burning curiosity inside. And going to unusual destinations and places that are a little bit off the beaten path at least to us, tend to satisfy that a little bit more quickly. In terms of this sort of larger trip that began for us, that was the sort of launch pad for our blog, Uncornered Market. This was back in 2007. The reason that we began traveling to the former Soviet Union, so the Caucasus countries in Central Asia, you know, from Georgia through the stands, was because Audrey had been working with uh, Radio for Europe, an organization with offices in those locations. So we kind of had a ready-made sort of opportunity to connect with people on the ground that we knew. But at the same time, when we started researching, traveling to those places, if you picked up a Lonely Planet back in 2006 or 2007, it didn't really make the Caucasus in Central Asia sound particularly friendly. Like there are all these sections about like, what do you do when you get stopped by the police? Or, you know, how to handle scams. Um, right. At that time, there wasn't really a lot of, there weren't actually really many blogs, and there wasn't really a lot of travel information online. So on the one hand, I had these work colleagues that I'd been working with, you know, I was in Prague, they were in, in their countries, who were saying, come, you'll see there's a different story. And that kind of became a theme for our blog, is we realized 
in order to truly understand a place, you can't just trust what you see, you know, on the news or even in movies or documentaries. You really need to go walk walk the streets, talk with people, eat food. And often in most of those countries, we found there was a very different story than was being told elsewhere. And that became a bit of a theme for our blog was to kind of tell these little known, you know, stories of little known places or perhaps stories that don't usually get told. And on top of that, these are just fascinating countries. I mean, the history and the culture and um, the hospitality of the people is just incredible. And so we've kind of tried to be these cheerleaders for the Caucasus in Central Asia since then. And especially, you know, for countries that really are incredible, like Kyrgyzstan and the Republic of Georgia. So it's kind of nice now to see other people finally discovering them after all these years. That's great. Uh, I'm happy to hear. And I want to uh dive in a little bit later on uh, what people can do to encourage more off the beaten path travel and you have some great resources on your website uh, just about how, how social media influencers can push people to to new destinations uh, but I wanted to actually zoom out a little bit and ask you if there is somebody listening out there who is about to go on their first trip or say they've been to less than 10 countries before or they have friends you know there's many many uh, listeners right now who get asked all the time hey where should I go I'm curious what you would tell people if they want to if they're let's let's say millennial and just say age 21 to 35 uh, still youthful and uh, active where would you tell people to go and they're from US or Canada. Mm -hmm. So actually, before we get into the where and the, and the practical, just a note on kind of philosophy and psychology, you know, zooming out even further. Uh, I think a couple of pieces of advice that we would give people, and that is uh, to sort of take an active approach in unpacking your fear, uh, you know, just about, about life and about travel. Uh, and then also understand what it actually means to go outside of your comfort zone. This is something we talk about a lot when we're speaking. To go outside of your comfort zone means that at times you are going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> and I think that there's a there's sort of a mismatch sometimes where people feel like they can they can say that they're going outside of their comfort zone, but everything has to be taken care of. That's not the way that it works. And that's not the way, particularly through travel, that we learn and we grow personally. We actually have to put ourselves out there, feel a little bit of discomfort, feel a little bit of pain. And the other thing to note, and this is something we share all the time, know that we have all been through this, <laughs> every one of us, whether we've traveled to 90 countries, every country on earth, we all had to begin somewhere. And when we began, we had fears. And even now, up until this day, we go to destinations and we go to aspects of those destinations and we have fear, we have concern, you know, and that like it's a it's a human thing. So I think it's important just to sort of understand that and embrace that. Uh, but now let's get back to the where. OK, to the practical. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the first um, country that came on came to my head was Peru. Um, and one of the reasons for that is we've actually been twice. The first time we spent a couple months there eight, nine years ago, and then we returned last year. Um, and in terms of just diversity of experiences in Peru, it's pretty incredible. The country has the Amazon, it has the mountains, it has the coast, it has urban areas, it has, you know, Incan history and ruins. Um, it has a pretty well-established tourism infrastructure. So buses, you can actually choose which grade and style and luxury of buses. If you want 
you know, the VIP, you get like a huge seat and recliner and food. But if you want a budget, you gotta get the, you know, the chicken bus. So you can kind of decide how you wanna, how far outside your comfort zone you wanna go, especially at first. Um, and it has some, I mean, everyone knows about Machu Picchu and, you know, hiking the Inca Trail, and there's also several other trails, but we recently hiked in Huaywash, um, the Huaywash, um, Cordillera Huaywash, which again, some incredibly beautiful mountains if anyone is interested in trekking. And food is incredible. Also, people we find are very hospitable and friendly. So that would be the first place that comes to my mind. Uh, I also think even though it's very well traveled, Southeast Asia, there are mm -hmm. destinations there. I mean, for us, that was on this sort of larger trip that we began in 2007. That's really where we started before we ended up going to Central Asia. Mm -hmm. Southeast Asia is where we built um, our blog. I still think places like Laos, mm -hmm. even Myanmar, for as popular as it has become uh, itself, it's not totally fully on the map. There are places, there are destinations within each of those countries you can get off the beaten path. You know, even even we found in places like Thailand, for as well for as traveled and touristed as Thailand is, it's possible to turn a corner <laughs> and to find something completely new and different. I think that's the other thing to to remember that no matter where you go, even if it, there are tons of tourists, even if it is now considered an over touristed destination, mm -hmm. there are ways to approach any of these destinations. There are, there are ways to approach your own home and go about it in a different curiosity-seeking kind of way. And then if we want to give a nod to Europe. <laughs> well, we can certainly cover all the other continents. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, get off, <laughs> you want to get off the beaten path and also be delighted, um, to my mind, in Africa, Ethiopia, yeah. I thought, we both thought was spectacular. The history Same there is remar remarkable. Uh, Tanzania on, on a number of levels, uh, you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro was spectacular. Uh, the Serengeti and Gorogoro Crater, the interactions that we had with people there, you know, was uh, was remarkable. Um, Europe, what do you want to say about Europe? What I was going to say is um, Europe is obviously much more expensive than some of the other countries that we've talked about, like Southeast Asia or regions, so Southeast Asia or countries like Peru. Um, at the same time, we it is possible to travel Europe inexpensively, um, and a couple of years ago, we walked the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain through the Basque region, and we were able to stay in guest houses for like five or ten euros a night, um, eat incredible, you know, Basque food, pinchos, and things like that. So I think even if Europe on the surface seems really expensive and unattainable, I think um, especially for young travelers or for travelers who are just starting out. The more they research and talk to people, I think it's possible to find kind of budget or inexpensive ways to travel even in those types of countries as well. That's fantastic. And uh, I, Daniel, I wanted to say I was so happy that you zoomed out even further and talked about people's fear because I am in the process of writing a book on travel called the Millennial Travel Guidebook. And that is the very first chapter is on fear and how to take that and look it in the eye, stare it down and really put down on paper, okay, what am I so afraid of? And uh, oftentimes it's from what other people and society, et cetera, are saying. And so then, of course, in the second chapter, we talk about, all right, then how do you address this with the other stakeholders in your life who are telling you, oh my God, I can't believe you're in 
uh, Berlin because uh, this or that happened there in, in throughout the course of history and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's so important. So thank you guys for that. And uh, Audrey, I wanted to go back actually to uh, Peru. Well, okay, I always want to go back. I mean, back in the conversation, <laughs> I've been to Peru, uh, yeah, many, many times. Um, I own a tour operator, and so we, we bring people down there and countries all over the world, of course, but Peru is one of my very favorite places. But I know you guys are quite outspoken about over-tourism. You mentioned Machu Picchu. I'll let you guys give your opinion first uh, before I voice mine because I'm interviewing you. Uh, would, yeah, would love to know what you think about Machu Picchu. Okay, so I've been to Machu Picchu twice, and the first time was I guess nine years ago, so 2009. Um, and we did the Salcante trek, which at that time was kind of new and up and coming. Um, so there really wasn't very many, there weren't very many people on the trail. Um, and at Machu Picchu, the first time we were able to actually navigate it quite well and that we got there right when the gates were open, you know, we managed to go up to, was it Wainu Picchu? Um, Without even really planning, planning to do something like climb Wainu Picchu, which, which <laughs> wow. if, if you did now what we did then 10 years would ago, it, work? it wouldn't happen. Yeah, we would have had to have been there way earlier. Um, so, I, I, so I believe that Machu Picchu is an incredible site. Um, and to be honest, the first time we went, it was more... It was kind of more impactful than I expected because, to be honest, uh, looking at photos, I'm like, oh, that looks nice. But when you're there and you also have a guide who's explaining everything and kind of putting it into context, we returned last year and it's still an amazing site, but the numbers are considerably different now. Um, and so you end up, you know, with a guide, I feel like he's spending all of his time trying to figure out how to avoid the crowds and how to get, you know, to the right place. And, and dodge the selfie sticks. And dodge sticks. the selfie sticks. Sure. Banned. Um, so while the site itself is still incredible, the number of people who are experiencing at one time, even with the limitations, so I think there's now permits and there's a certain number of people, it does impact um, the experience. And more importantly, it's having an impact on the actual site. I mean, in terms of possibly literally destroying it because of the pressure from all the people. So no easy answers, because I understand why people want to go. Um, at the same time, I also think that Peru and also, you know, you influencers or other travel writers can also perhaps start promoting or highlighting some of the other incredible Incan sites in Peru that could also use some love. <laughs> um, and also from the beginning, as those sites become a little bit more popular, that they're more proactively managed um, from the beginning to help protect the sites and also create, make sure that the experience for the traveler um, is also protected, if you want to call it that. Because the last thing you want to do is to be in a site and have all these people in front of you with phones and selfie sticks. And it just takes away sure. from the beauty and you know the serenity of the place, which is what you're there to take in and, and experience. And, and I'd maybe ask an additional question, and that is, uh, that frames all this, is what's, as a traveler or as a tourist, however you want to call yourself, um, when you go to a destination, what's the relationship that you're going to have with that destination, with that place, with those people, and with that history? And it just seems to me like an opportunity lost and a little bit reduced when someone just takes the traditional photo of a destination 
and then says, this was life changing, but then doesn't really say how that destination made an impression on them that might have changed their lives or helped them consider themselves a little differently or how to help them consider the world a little differently. Meaning, it seems like on the surface, it was life changing, mm -hmm. but what it was really about is just showing that you were there mm -hmm. and you got the photo. And I get that, like I, I appreciate that's something that people want to do. Um, but I think the health of our own mental health, as well as the health of destinations, is going to depend on our individual answers to what is my relationship to the place I happen to be traveling to. That's, so that's great. That's a long answer. Yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, uh, as yeah, as a, a tour operator in Peru, we are first of all we set expectations with the travelers about what it's going to be like at, Ma at Machu Picchu. So that's very important. Yeah, the lines can get long. The government, they're, try they're trying, or they say they're trying to you know, regulate the number of people, the number of tickets, who's actually counting. I've had my gripes with uh, other countries like Costa Rica mm -hmm. about how many people are actually going into these parks. That's another story, uh, but yeah they're 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 doing the best and looking at it again in the big picture these countries are desperate for the money yeah i mean they're really trying to make something out of this natural natural wonder that they have uh and hopefully they're not exploiting it but uh from a, a traveler perspective i think it's just so important to know okay there's going to be a lot of people there you might the the experience of Machu Picchu, in my opinion, is not nearly as great as seeing this Quechua culture in person off the right. beaten path. I mean, yeah. I you know I've hiked the Inca Trail. We bring groups on there, you know, every just about every month, and it's also an amazing experience but you got to know what you're getting yourself into and uh yeah that's i think that's the just the main point is you can get off the path very uh, off the beaten path very quickly and we encourage people to do i mean we bring people to the small indigenous community where no travelers go where the people don't have transportation to go from the sacred valley up to cusco to sell their artisan crafts they bring us into the fields and they show us how they dig up their potatoes and and all of these things and they they live off the land with tools that you know to us look like for they're from the 1800s and i know the point of travel isn't necessarily to tr look like you're going back in time, uh, which many people really do look for, which is a totally separate topic. Yeah. But Peru is an amazing place. And uh, hopefully, as a stakeholder in Machu Picchu, personally, hopefully we can continue to... Uh, yeah, rectify the the situation, create a good, sustainable experience for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely I, makes I, sense. I, I think, again, it's about asking the questions. And it's asking the questions of travelers, asking the questions of tour operators. And, and it's, it's, again, what is our relationship to the destination or the experience? And then also challenge ourselves to go and find the new and the different mm -hmm. uh, that helps us, you know, attain a different, you know, a different level of consciousness about travel or an altered state of consciousness, which is, it, it, to my sense, at the end of the day, what most people are looking for in travel. And then it's a question of, well, is, is going 
is there some depth of experience that we're going to get there, like uh, going and visiting an indigenous community? Or when we were there, we went to uh, a place called Parque de la Papa, basically. The, the park <laughs> I, the... I know Parque de la Papa. Yeah, you know, and, and I was really I was Actually, I was when surprised. we first saw it on itinerary, we were like, okay, how interesting is this really going to be? And then we got there, we're like, for potatoes. <laughs> yeah, so the, the history of potatoes, the people who so important to uh, the food future of Peru and quite possibly the food future of the world. It, it's those types of things and then providing the perspective along the way. Like meaning at first phase an experience like that might actually speak to someone instantly. In that case, great. If not, then it's a matter of your guide or your company to say, hey, look at this. There's an opportunity to look at this a little, a little differently and a little more closely. This is what it means. And, and I think you know, first couple of trips that we take, we're probably just happy to be at the place. <laughs> um, but after a while, it's then about, well, what am I learning? How am I growing? How am I changing? What am I figuring out about the world? You know, that, that sort of thing. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us, um, not just travelers, but people in the business to facilitate that process. Mm -hmm. I, 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 go ahead, uh, go ahead, Audrey. <laughs> No, was, uh, the only thing I was going to say is kind of what you mentioned and also what Dan mentioned, I think of um, under the phrase living history, which I know is used sometimes too much. But I think in Peru, that is that incredible example. You mentioned, you know, the agricultural tools and, you know, we're talking about potato species that go back thousands of years um, and now are being saved again, possibly for the food safety for those communities as well as the world. But it's that tie and that connection that you're actually able to see um, in those visits that also connect to a place like Machu Picchu where you're kind of putting it all together. These are the same people. These are the ancestors. In fact, they might actually even be using some of the similar tools and techniques that were at Machu Picchu today. And so I think, yeah, there's a pretty interesting opportunity there to make that connection. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, people say the Inca Trail and the local people uh, are like, uh, yeah, the, the Quechua people had many, many trails. And yes, there is a, it, it's like El Camino, right? Yeah. El Camino, right. It, it's a huge network of trails. And you come to find out that uh, many countries where trekking is popular, even Ireland. Yeah, there's, there's massive networks of trails all through these countries because Surprise, surprise, that's how people used to get around before there were major highways. So that's uh, that's great. And I'm, I can't believe you guys brought up Parque de la Papa. That, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. We we actually used to bring our, our groups there, but that road, whoof, that is a, yeah, yeah, that's a killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be in a, in a van full of 15 people up that road and have someone be car sick. It's, uh, but it is... <laughs> If you're a solo traveler and you can look up Parque del Papa, I highly recommend it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. um, well, and the thing is, there are so many examples like that. I think it, it's interesting because when we started, when we first started writing about our independent travels ten years ago, people would often ask, "How do you get those experiences?" And the reality is, the answer to that question is quite similar today as it was ten years ago. And you know, now we're talking about sustainable or responsible tourism, and there's an element of that that sounds like we're shaming people who are not doing that. No, this is this is just an avenue to having a great experience, to having the kind of experiences that people react to on our blog. Like, wait, how do you get that? Mm -hmm. How do you have those kind of interactions? How do you meet those kind of people? It's through this kind of approach that says definitely. 
from time to time, go after the iconic. From time to time, you're going to be, you're going to have to be on the road most traveled. But you're going to find out, stepping back from all of your experiences, that some of the best experiences you'll have are when you actually go off the path, when you take the turn, when you do the thing that everyone least expects, and you you go and you explore your, your curiosity. I can't hit can't hit that note enough because people will ask us, "How do you do it?" And the answer is exactly that. And have the confidence to to say. It'll always be there. If I miss it this time around, if 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 I go to India and I don't see the Taj Mahal, guess what? Guess what? It's going to be there and your life will probably be just as good, if not better, if you happen to miss the Taj Mahal. I know this because I did it. It's hard to it's hard to have that confidence and it's hard to sell Peru without Machu Picchu, but yeah. I point taken. I hope people I hope people try it for themselves it's and just, uh, and just one ahead. other thing to add to what dan said um i think what dan said applies whether you're traveling independently or whether you're traveling on a tour um and the reason why i mentioned that is parque de la, de la papa we actually saw as with g adventure as a tour company and to be honest we probably wouldn't have found it if we weren't with them you know so sure. i think is when you're traveling independently you're always looking for these different organizations and social enterprises and you know communities but the same thing goes when you're choosing a tour is to find what which are the tour companies that do include these perhaps unusual experiences or stops as part of the itinerary so sure yeah i'll give one quick example and then i have so many other questions for you guys (laughs) uh so i'm i live here in Costa Rica and most people who are from the US and Canada know somebody who's gone to Costa Rica had a really great time and when people come here they realize oh wow the prices aren't all that much cheaper because well there's a lot of gringos here and people really love it here including myself I've spent most of the last six years here um but you know you can't just you can't just go to a little uh impoverished island and knock on the door this is a place near where i live i know costa rica is not an island uh you can't go to a impoverished neighborhood let's say uh and knock on the door of the community center and say hey do you think we could get some people here in here and uh have them share a little bit what it's like to live over here and have them you know, maybe we could have a shared experience cooking some food and hey, get your grandma out here and ha- hand press some tortillas for us. And uh, how about those mangoes you got growing on that tree? Can you get somebody to shimmy up there and, and uh, let's cut those up? You know, these are the type of things that we can put on as a, as a travel company. But your your backpacker is going to be hard pressed to be able to pull something an experience like that off on their own. So, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying here. Yeah. You you know this conversation really brings up an even broader zoom out topic and that is the topic of expectations. Um you really mm-hmm. touch on it which is if you're going to go off the beaten path, guess what? You have to adjust your expectations <laughs> to what the outcome is because sometimes things are going to work out, sometimes they're not. The interactions that you're going to have, they're not going to look like a constructed interaction. Mm-hmm. Who knows what they're going to look like? <laughs> but that's actually part of the fun. And that's the, then the flip side of that is that's one of the reasons why people construct itineraries. This is one of the reasons why they go with tour operators, because there are certain things that they want to achieve or experience in a destination. And there are 
easier or f more facilitated ways to do mm -hmm. that. So I think the trick is, and even when you're even when you're going with a company, I think the best thing to do is set your expectations um, accordingly. Mm -hmm. And one of the other pieces of, of advice that we give is when people are traveling with um, tour operators or tour companies. Engage mm -hmm. the company and engage your guide. It's shocking to me that people will sit back and just sort of Accept the itinerary for what it is. It's probably good enough But <laughs> so many guides that we've interacted with have loved that we've asked it asked tons of questions and said Besides what we're doing here. Here are the other additional things that we're really excited about and we're asking questions And the next thing we know the guides are talking about their families <laughs> They're talking about how much they love food or how much they love sports or whatever it is that we happen to or engage them finding an impromptu cooking class so we can learn, you know, how to make Ethiopian food or you know, just kind of Yeah, bringing more things that connect with the travelers, but also all of our interests as well Lots of great ways to engage Absolutely. You're, you're paying for that resource. And as we say on under 30 experiences trips, look, every, if you want to stick to our itinerary, yeah, please do. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. But if you want to go off on your own on something you heard about that's not part of our itinerary, please do that. And, and yeah, we're, we, want our, we teach our trip leaders to be uh, friends and hosts rather than, you know, the guy who brings you to the restaurant and then sits over there with the locals. So... <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that's because we know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. We've, we've seen that. <laughs> sure, sure. No, that's that's important to us. Um, okay, you guys mentioned life changing experiences, and this term gets thrown around so much. Uh, my life has truly been changed by travel, and I have I can authentically say that I have had those life changing experiences, and yeah, I mean. My first trip as a actually 26-year-old uh, abroad, it, it was life-changing. And I could go into the reasons why, but I would love to hear what people are really truly getting at when they say life-changing experiences and how travel has changed your lives. Well, I'll go back to my I'll go back to my first trip, and I tell this story all the time. It doesn't you know whether it's a, a travel inspiration, travel marketing at times, university students. Uh, I traveled on my own to India. It was my first trip abroad. I thought I'd go off kind of the deep end. I had an idea of what I was doing, but in the grander scheme, not at all. I made every rookie mistake in the book. I made every mistake I could have made. I overpacked. I got sick in India a couple of times, and then at the very end of that experience, I contracted dengue fever and I nearly died. Ugh. It felt like I wanted to die. And people oftentimes, and even after, just after that experience, they're like, how was it? And I said, oh, it was great. And, and they'll just they'll, you know, sort of look sideways and say, well, wait, why is that? Uh, the reason for that is it was life-changing, and the reason that for me that it was life-changing is it proved to me that there's so much in life that I could take, um, that I could work my way through, that I could be resilient to, and this was only one tiny slice of the pie, right? So there were so many other experiences that I would yet to encounter in my life, and guess what? I'd be able to work it. I'd be able to work it out. I'd be able to figure it out just like I I, I did there. Um, most of the other experiences, I'm kind of group them because I want. I'd like to hear what Audrey <laughs> has to say about a life changing experience. But most of the others are just sort of surprising human encounters. 
that express the humanity of the places that we happen to travel to, as well as kind of the shared humanity by way of our interactions. And it's it's places like Georgia and Kyrgyzstan and our early trips to um, an early trip to Myanmar when there were no tourists mm-hmm. there. It was actually during the saffron uprising about 10 years ago. And it was it's through interludes like that where you just you begin to understand what you're really about. Um, you begin to retune what it is that you want in a life, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and you begin to retune and evolve your understanding of who you are and what it is that you hope to achieve in life. But I'm going to stop. And, uh, <laughs> well, you kind of said it all. <laughs> so let's see. I'm trying to think of something that you didn't cover. Um, Did I steal your thunder? <laughs> so in addition to all that, um, I would also say when I think of life-changing experiences, I... Yeah, the first actually thing that comes to mind are people. Um, again, it's kind of that connection with other people. And often it's just understanding um, kind of, it sounds very simple, you know, our shared humanity. But often when we're so focused on differences that you sometimes forget the shared humanity that we that we all have. Um, and especially when you're with people who on the surface seem very, very different from you. Um, and yet, I mean... A simple thing like we were in Kiva, a Silk Road city in Uzbekistan, and I remember we were asking about the price of food at what we thought was a cafe. It turned out not to be a cafe, and the very heavily pregnant woman actually literally gave us her lunch and went and brought out more lunch um, for us so we could enjoy a meal and wouldn't accept any payment. Um, just very simple things like that that you kind of open your eyes of like, yeah, this is what this is what humans are about and this is what life can be about. We have been fed with, we have been fed without asking countless times and it it's just it doesn't it doesn't speak to our ability to get a free meal it no. speaks to, it speaks to the human ability to want to do the right thing um, in general and I, and I've said do the right thing when they don't feel themselves um, threatened but here the other thing I'll, I'll do here is um, I think one of the other ways that uh, Travel has been life-changing. One of the other things that mm-hmm. I discovered is that Audrey is exceptional at navigating her way <laughs> through very difficult situations. <laughs> and I'm, what, I, what I'd like her to do is tell the story briefly about how when we tried to visit uh, an old castle on the border of Tajikistan and Afghanistan, uh, a couple of military guys came down after us running at us Kleshnikovs. Okay. I would love to hear it. <laughs> so I don't know if that was well, actually, I don't know if it was life changing, but at the same time, it also was another notch in like, okay, I can do this. Um, like I can do, I can, I can take what life gives me. So yeah, we were traveling along the Pamir Highway in Tajikistan, which follows essentially the border with Afghanistan. There's a river that divides the two countries. And according to our trusty Lonely Planet, there was a second century BC fort along the path, along the highway. Uh, when we say it's a highway, it's a dirt road, um, or mostly dirt road. Um, and so we thought, okay, we had our driver and we said, okay, we wanna visit you know, this fort. And my Russian is okay, it's not great, but you know, managed to communicate. So he pulls over on the side of the road and Dan and myself, and then the three other French tourists who were sharing the Jeep with us, as travelers, you know, kind of go running off with our cameras up to the fort. 
And next thing we know, I think three or four military guys with Kalashnikovs come running the other direction at us, <laughs> pointing their guns at us. Um, and it turns out that uh, it was actually a military base. Um, not, well, it was, it was a second century BC fort, but it had been turned into a military base. And so we were basically imposing on this military base. So I got asked with a Kalashnikov in my face about my papers and my documentation and everything like that. And what I realized was that we were out of sight from our driver, meaning we were in no man's land. So in my broken Russian and you know, as kindly as I could, I apologized, said, I'm really sorry. We thought this was a tourist site, you know, pointed to my guidebook um, and explained, you know, my, our papers are in the, in the car, which they weren't, they were on us, but I didn't feel comfortable bringing out any passports or any type of documentation when, again, this no man's land. So I kind of did this whole charade thing, and finally the gun came down. They followed us. Sorry, um, somebody okay. snuck up on me behind, behind me. Uh, they followed us. The, the soldiers followed us to the Jeep, and so I had to go in and pretend to find my passport because it was actually on me. So we showed them our passport, our permit to actually be there. And all of a sudden we got these huge smiles and I was like, you know, I'm really sorry to bother you, we'll leave you. And they're like, no, 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 now you must visit the fort. And so they marched us all the way back up again um, to the fort and ended up, you know, showing us around and showing us their barracks and telling us their life story and things like that. But the lesson is, you know, travel when you're put in situations that might seem rather scary at first, but at the same time you become that your problem solving and your ability to kind of think on your feet becomes faster and faster. So. That's yeah, that that's great. <laughs> and, and those are, again are some of the very off the beaten path things that can happen to you that turn into amazing uh, a stories, but b just great experiences. And you realize that oh, things aren't so bad after all. I a uh, something again came to my mind about uh, Peru. I was with a group down there and i used to be our our original trip leader for for all mm -hmm. of our trips and you know then we'd meet our our local guides etc but that's how we started and i was leading a group uh through lima and if you've been to the center of lima well there's not tons going on uh you can it's not a full day i i wouldn't say but you know, we, we walked around, saw some things, maybe something was closed and we had to find a little bit more time. And I ended up walking down the, the street from kind of where they do the changing of the guard. Uh, and I saw on a map some green space and there was a gate there. And I just kind of said, well, uh, I said to the guard, hey, can can we come in? And he said, oh, OK. And he said, you know, do you have your passports? And I said, well, well, yeah, we, we have our passports. And so we showed them <laughs> our passports and, and we got let in and it ended up being Congress and the Peruvian <laughs> Congress. And they gave us a whole tour of the Peruvian Congress in the back. Well, here's where Fujimori did this and that and got to hear all the stories. And it was completely unplanned. Plus, I had, you know, a dozen people following me, not really knowing where I'm going at all. And uh, yeah, but those are the types of stories that you don't forget when you when you travel. Um, but I, I want to actually ask you guys a, a step beyond these types of experiences how travel has uh, 
pushed you to become better people in in general? I, I noticed that on your blog, you have a whole section on personal growth. Uh, Daniel talks about his 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. And yeah, just love to hear, uh, you know, you guys talk about empathy and, and yeah, some really interesting things there that seems like they it have really improved your lives. Uh, so I'm, I'd love to know what everyone can can learn from that. Wow, uh, that's a very deep topic. I guess the first thing that you learn is that you can change. Mm -hmm. and, and that sounds really simple, but I think oftentimes when we talk about change or transformation, uh, we, sometimes it's tempting to get sort of stuck in the cliche without actually examining what the meaning of that word is. And what it means is uh, like the, the sort of physical nature of your body like through this, for example, through the Vipassana experience, my body is physically different, mm -hmm. much better than it was 15 years ago. Um, mentally, I think also because we, because travel puts us in very different contexts and like Audrey alluded to, it forces us to often solve problems in very different ways. I think we find ourselves developing capabilities that we never really had before that we, we develop ways of sort of innovating mm -hmm. and ways of navigating circumstances and, and different types of creativity in ways that we never thought was possible. I mean, one of the reasons why we ended up quitting our very left brain jobs <laughs> that we were working for, you know, in Prague for five years and setting off to travel around the world was because we had this idea deep inside that travel could do this and that we were capable of... Uh, turning inside out or exposing a side of ourselves that had never before been exposed. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that's like what travel does is it, provi it provides a platform or a conduit to help you to help you explore yourself inside out and turn some of those things inside out. So like all the sort of creative pursuits mm -hmm. that we now do and take for granted, whether it's <laughs> writing or photography or telling our own story, telling the stories of other people, you know, all sorts of things that we do now, we didn't do 10 years ago. We didn't have that capability. And it was, you know, first understanding that that was possible and then going and pushing ourselves, you know, in the platform of travel as personal growth that allowed us to explore those capabilities and develop them further. I don't know if that answered your question. It absolutely does. And just to add to that, um, in terms of this idea of kind of becoming a better person, I think travel also, it breaks down a lot of stereotypes. It breaks down a lot of assumptions. Um, so I think that travel allows you to maybe to look at situations um, in a different way, maybe with more open eyes. It sounds cliche, but maybe with more open eyes or just not making assumptions or not making decisions, but just kind of sitting and listening and, and researching and finding your own story or finding your own answers. Um, and I think that kind of makes, let's say, I think that helps with empathy. Um, and also I think it just encourages or it really pushes you to focus on connection with other people. Because I think you realize, at least one of the things I've realized through travel is that that connection with other people is one of the most important things in life. Um, and so again, kind of if I think about how it's impacted our life, we've really tried to simplify our life and have focused a lot on those connections. Beautiful. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And I know a lot of people come home from a trip like that and uh, they, they feel that they want to do more. 
and they wish that they could uh, somehow return to a place or find another place where they can make a greater impact. And I know that uh, you both have uh, written quite a lot about different uh, pitfalls of volunteerism and what to w watch out for when you're working with children. And uh, I recently did a, a full-length podcast episode just on this topic, but I, I always am looking for uh, other tidbits and people's explanations uh, on, uh, uh, yeah, just on how people who want to make an impact somewhere can do that in the right way. So I know it's a massive topic. Yeah. What, what are, do you have some quick and dirty tips for what people could look for if they uh, if they were going abroad in this manner? So I would say um, the first thing is to understand where the money's going, if money is being exchanged. Meaning if, if, if a person is working with a volunteerism organization or middleman, if you want to call it that, um, understand how much money is staying with that person and how much money is going to the local community, local organization. The other thing is to really make sure that their skills are needed and that they're not taking away a potential job of a local person. So for example, it might sound great to go and paint a fence of a school or paint a wall of a school or you know paint a fence somewhere, but at the same time that might actually be taking a job away from a local person. Um, so while you're maybe helping with that paint, you're also maybe hurting the local person's um, job opportunities at the same time. And the other thing is you mentioned children, um, volunteering at orphanages, and for the most part, I would stay away from. Um, children, it's, there's been all sorts of studies that have been done that kind of the constant exposure to new people can really traumatize a child after a while who's in, a, who's in an orphanage. And also, sadly, some countries and some orphanages have actually been created for volunteers to earn money through volunteering, and many of those children have families. Um, and so the goal should really be to try and reunite those children with their families and try and support the parents so that way the parents feel that they can take care of their children and support them in a better way. Um, the other thing is when you're thinking about kind of giving back or kind of working, you know, when you're traveling in a way that benefits local communities, one tip that we always give is to look for social enterprises because these are often local organizations or community organizations that have a mission like an NGO. Maybe they're supporting single mothers with education or maybe they're working with, um, I don't know, youth training, you know, street youth training them to be in hospitality or something, but they're run a bit like a business. So maybe you get a great meal or you're staying at a hotel or you know, you're buying handicrafts or something and the profits go back to that community project. So while at the same time that you're getting a great experience, you also know that that money is going back to the local community and is actually doing kind of community development projects. That was a lot of, so I'll uh, be quiet. Uh, no, there's no need to be quiet. Um, but I, I'll, just, I'll just add a couple of other sort of quick notes, and that is often locals will, will say to us, uh, instead of volunteering, just consider you know, traveling, mm -hmm. spending your money, and when you do, spread it to ensure that it makes its way through the local economy. The other uh, point of discussion I seem to be having privately with a lot of friends and community who ask us about uh, volunteering and volunteerism is I'll often ask, would you do the same or could you consider doing the same locally at home? Mm -hmm. So you want to give back. Does it? Do you really have to travel halfway around the world to give back or to engage? 
that's definitely something worth exploring because it really begins to uh, unpack what that giving back is really about. Is it really about giving back or is it about giving back in some semi-exotic location mm-hmm. so you can flash it all over social media? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. And, and I'm, I, I feel like we've got enough experience here to, be, mm-hmm. to sort of um, carry that kind of what I would consider healthy skepticism. The question is, would you do the things that you did if you didn't have the opportunity to share it with absolutely anyone on social media? <laughs> and a lot of that goes back to what's the relationship that you're going to have to the giving that you're going to do. And I think the real test of giving um, genuinely is giving genuinely and being okay if absolutely nobody in the world hears about it or no one in the world celebrates it. You know when you're giving under those circumstances that it really is coming from uh, a, a, a deep place within. That's my two cents. <laughs> no, I think those are both great answers. That's That last one is like the holding the door for somebody when uh, when you get pissed that they don't say thank you. You know, you hold it and you're like, oh, what a bitch. She didn't even say thank you. Well, what were you really looking for there? So, uh, yeah. And uh, also, uh, Audrey, I wanted to mention that I've, I've heard the whole orphanage ordeal stated even much more in much uh, more grave circumstances where the children are, are kidnapped trafficked in this whole thing is a uh can be just a complete horrible scam in in many 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 uh, of in a in a high percentage of orphanages i i believe at least i've been told by some experts so um yeah thank you for thank you for both of those answers and and yeah again daniel that um what you touched on there about doing it at home you're also going to know a whole lot more about what the needs of your own community really are as opposed to i believe it was audrey who said that that uh school the fence at the school that's actually been painted by the last six volunteer groups that you know gets a changes color every month and it doesn't actually help anybody so uh no thank you for that shall, shall we do some rapid fire stuff before we uh before we wrap up Absolutely. Ask all the questions Mm -hmm. and we'll try to keep them all short within five (laughs) seconds. Okay, cool. Uh, All right. I would like to ask both of you independently this first one. So we'll start with Audrey and it is your favorite travel book. Oh, first book that came to mind was Shantaram, which is technically a novel, but very much linked to real life. Great. I've been recommended it many times. (laughs) I might still have it from somebody <laughs> who loaned it to me. Uh, and Daniel? Ooh, uh, that's a tie between Dark Star Safari, Paul mm-hmm. Theroux, and a book that's not really a travel book, but boy, it really sets the path for travel, and that's Guns, Germs, mm-hmm. Steel by Jared Diamond. Ooh, okay. This sort of, yeah, this sort of anthropological macro history. It's more of a science book, but both are great. Great. I have a long reading list. I've, I bought that one used somewhere and uh, I think I left it at my grandma's house or something. But we'll link all of this up on the show notes under 30experiences.com slash blog. Um, okay, Daniel, we'll go back to you. So this time Aubrey has more time to think about her answer. And uh, that would be, let's see, um, I would say a what's your favorite travel resource doesn't have to be a book maybe something online that you reference a lot oh well boy um that's a good that's a tough question and i've got that one first um 
Mm. I mean, it could be Google Flights. It could be a uh, somebody's blog who you admire. Anything, really. Well, okay, so maybe this is going to make me common. Uh, just in terms of go-to research, I still find myself going to Kayak to do a lot of, to start my searches. Perfect. So, um, Can't beat I know, it. That's, that's, I, I, that, that's, that's probably a weak uh, entry. But So, okay, outside of flight searches, Kayak's the first one there, usually Skyscanner, probably number two. But um, in terms of kind of finding ideas for trips it's actually usually blogs um and you know we've got some friends or colleagues who are bloggers who i trust so you know people like you know jody from legal nomads or um nomadic matt has a huge resource on his site um so i tend to do kind of a general search but then you know when i know someone i kind of know okay i trust this information i go there Great. I'm a big fan of Jody's work. She's been on the on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I hope she gets better. I, I think she's been sick for a while. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. I just heard from her today, and yeah, she's she's still struggling. Mm, okay, um, Audrey, I'll send this one uh, back to you. Most impactful, the country that has had the most impact on you. Oh gosh. Um... <laughs> I know it's your answer. Um, this, this is the thing. You you get the ones that I have an easier time answering, <laughs> vice versa, right? So yeah, the, answer, the the country that came to mind first was Kyrgyzstan, and it's not just in terms of the impact that it had on me as a traveler, but also the consulting work that we did. Um, the impact that being able to get in the communities and do that tourism development consulting had as well as I feel the impact that it had on the country. So kind of the full circle. Great. That's a great answer. <laughs> well done. Uh, for me, it's probably India. Yeah. Uh, I, w I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the view on travel that I have today if I didn't take that first trip there. And we've gone back a couple of times since and I love it. It drives me crazy <laughs> like India can do at times, but it's, it's remarkable. Excellent. It's it's still India is still on my list. Uh, moving moving higher every every chance I, I get to hear about it. Uh, Daniel, we'll go back to you with last rapid fire question, and that is going to be uh, favorite international plate of food. Wow, we just we had we just had this discussion the other day, and it was in the context of. You know the 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 last meal. You know, <laughs> right, you're, you're, Armageddon's you're, coming. Armageddon is coming. Oh, uh, hmm. Boy, it's like uh, there's like five <laughs> dishes that could possibly do it. You know, I'll tell you, it's a dead heat for me between a masala dosa, uh, which is that sort of southern Indian pancake breakfast, you know, chickpea pancake breakfast with all the sort of beautiful, colorful buckets, pails of stuff that you can put on top of it, uh, on top of it the chutneys, and sushi. Mm. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Totally beautiful. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I'm influenced because we just returned from Brazil, and uh, during, our, this, during the last several days, I think we, 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 we probably ate sushi daily <laughs> and probably had it a dozen times you know, towards the, the close of our time there. So. So I'll take a different angle and um, go for something perhaps a little bit boring, but um, homemade ravioli or homemade stuffed pasta from a grandmother in 
Just kidding. From a grandmother. <laughs> Beautiful. Must be from a grandmother. That's uh, that's great. And for anybody scratching their head wondering, uh, how does how does one find good sushi in Brazil? Is that if there's a big Japanese population in Sao Paulo? Is that correct? It's, yeah, actually, the Sao Paulo, I think, is the biggest Japanese city outside of Japan. Um, and Brazil as a whole has a higher, it's the second largest Japanese population in the world. And I won't go into a long story about why that is, but essentially, they came over as workers for the um, coffee farms in the early 20th century and stayed. And so there's a very large Japanese population and great sushi and other kind of fusion <laughs> Brazilian Japanese food. Okay, very good. You guys don't know why there's so many Chinese people in Peru, do you? By any chance? I asked a Chinese Peruvian person recently and they didn't know. I think it's the railway. I think a bunch came over mm, in the 20th yeah. century to build the railway. Okay. So it's really interesting to think, yeah, the links between Asia and South America in the early 20th century. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we could keep going on, on other interesting links, but uh, I will let you guys go. I'm sure it's getting late over there in uh, Berlin. I wanted to give you a chance, of course, to shout out any links or places people can engage with your community on social media. I know your bloggers at uncorneredmarket.com. Where else can they find you and get involved with what you're doing? So probably the easiest would be Instagram. So that's uncornered underscore market because we you know had to make it difficult. Um, and then on Twitter, you market because, because we had to make it difficult. Well, because uncornered market was too long. Um, and then on Facebook, it's nice and easy. It's uncornered market. Great. And, and if uncornered market is a mouthful for your viewers <laughs> and they're just having a difficult time typing it. You can begin your search by going to www.danandaudrey.com, and that will bring you to Uncornered Market. <laughs> Excellent. Well, guys, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. I hope we get to hang out somewhere cool sometime. We, well, so. we, we would look forward to it. That would be great. Well, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank we enjoyed you. it. Podcast listeners, did you enjoy that episode? If so, stick around for Black. Friday at under 30 experiences. And if you could please subscribe, like on YouTube, and uh, leave a rating or review, drop a comment, any little social share really helps grow the show. You guys know this is a difficult time for the travel industry, but we need to keep the dream alive. The world will reopen and we will be going places soon enough. We're trying to focus there on the United States. We have nine itineraries now uh, within the U.S., all based around U.S. national parks. So check that out, under30experiences.com. Thanks for your support.